Good morning. All right, I'm going to get right into it. Uh, today we're in week two of a series that we started last week called Follow Me, uh, looking at the Gospels and looking at Jesus. Um, our theme for week one was Disciples Follow Jesus. That's That should be a marker of who we are in Jesus. And today, here's the one thing I want you to hear. Disciples, this is revolutionary, do what Jesus says. Shocker, huh? Well, uh, it might be a little bit more shocker to you than you think. Um, Not many of us like being told what to do. Do we? Just be honest. Specifically, depending on who it is telling us what to do. When you have a boss that you don't feel leads very well or does anything when they tell you what to do, it's difficult at times to go, yes, sir, or ma'am, I'm on it. Uh, if you have a spouse that loves to tell you what to do, sometimes it is difficult. And not mine, of course. She doesn't tell me what to do. Uh, she's not in here either. So. Uh, it's difficult. It can be difficult when people are like, hey, you need to do this. Um, if you're a, a kid and you've got a parent, um, sometimes it's difficult to do what the parent says. Uh, it goes on and on. Uh, teachers... there's no end to our dislike from being told what to do. And I think most of it stems from us being hurt or wounded by other people that have told us to do something or not to do something that has turned out to be not very good advice. Plain and simple. So I think most of those are rooted in the idea that we think we know best. Almost every time Jody tells me something that I should be doing, I dislike it. Just to be honest. Jody's my wife, by the way. But she's almost always right. (laughs) Plain and simple. And maybe that's what aggravates me, is that I know she's right, but I don't want her to be right. And so I think I know best when most of the time I don't, because I'm too close to the situation. So we're going to enter into this um, week two of Follow Me. And we'll see that Jesus is asking us to listen and act on what he says. And that is the foundation of who we are in Christ, or it should be. That should be our marker. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? It should be, I'm following Jesus. And I don't think there's any better place to start, we're going to be in John 2 today, 1 through 12, then Jesus' very first miracle. And I think it's pretty hilarious, to be honest with you. So let's pray. Um, Dearly Father, it is by your grace and mercy that you allow us, even in seasons that we don't trust, even in seasons when we don't listen, even in seasons when we don't act, you are constantly there asking us to listen and to obey. And so this morning I pray that your words out of your gospel would speak to our heart or that we would be motivated not only to act, but motivated to be listening for your words to us. And Lord, I pray that in our obedience we would see you and experience you like we're meant to. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, John 2, starting in verse 1. It's going to be on the screen behind me. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out. So Jesus had already started calling people into his ministry. um, But it hadn't really started yet. This is his first miracle. And Jesus is... Mother is there at a wedding that she was probably, it may even be in a relation to Jesus, but he's there with his disciples, and the wine runs out. Let me just clarify, because you're like, oh man, that's a party foul. Um, somebody didn't plan very well. So wedding celebrations in our days last for a couple hours. Wedding celebrations in this culture lasted as long as the wine did, for days. It was a celebration that would keep on going, but the moment the wine ran out, the party was over. I'll say celebration, because party sounds, you know, this is a party. So the wine ran out, and the mother of Jesus said to him, so the wine runs out, Jesus' mom comes over to him, they have no more wine. If you're a child, it's like, what does that have to do with me? The trash hasn't been taken out. What does that have to do with me? Noah tells me that all the time, even though that is his one job. This is one job. Why? It's like you see this trash that's collecting in our garage that goes in the thing outside. Shocker. So Jesus' mother said, there's no wine. And Jesus said to her, and I've always, this has always cracked me up. And I don't think it's as disrespectful as it sounds in English. But he says, woman! What does that have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. I, you know, I, I imagine, like in our culture, Jesus just got slapped by his mom. Be like, you want, you want to back talk me again? In, in, and I've read lots of commentaries on this. This is, is, it, is, it isn't disrespectful in the sense that we think it is for him saying, you know, woman. And I'll explain why he says the comment, my hour is not yet come, in just a second. And here's the thing to take note of, is that Jesus listens to one source, one source, the Father. John 8, 8 says, I do nothing on my own authority. Jesus was in the business of doing what the Father asked him to do, period. And hear this. Jesus' mother didn't supersede the Father. And that's not a disrespect of Mary. That just means Jesus was interested in doing the will of the Father, which is what the disciples are called to do, to do the will of the Father. And he wasn't going to let someone else tell him what to do. So I'm sure in that moment he's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm glad you feel like this is my responsibility. And I love verse 5. So she said, he, he says to her, woman, what does this have to do to me? My hour is not yet come. And his mother completely ignored it, or there was a slap, and that wasn't recorded in the Bible. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Like, she doesn't listen to him. She doesn't take his little whatever, like, just do whatever he says. And she walks away. And really, this... These words right there, do whatever he tells you, is the whole premise of today's message. 
Because everything that follows this makes no sense at all. Let me just tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple, most of what he tells you to do won't make sense at the beginning. It won't. It'll seem idiotic, which we'll see this. What gets ready to happen is very idiotic. In verse 6, it says, Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each one holding 20 to 30 gallons. So these jars were specifically used. They were filled with water, and before people would enter in to purify themselves, they would wash their hands, their face, they would get clean. It was a it, right. They wouldn't go into the temple. They wouldn't do anything spiritual, anything that God was in. They wouldn't do it without purifying themselves out of these jars. That's what they were. And one of the things, uh, a lot of reading that I did on this, when he says, my hour has not yet come, he's referring specifically to this. The cross was his means of purifying purifi- Buying his children, period. And his time is not, not, not yet come means like, I'm not, I'm not ready for the cross yet, Mom. I'm not ready to become what he's getting ready to change. In verse 7, it says, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. Could you imagine? Because the, the servants hear, heard Mom say, we ran out of wine Listen to what he says, and they're filling jars. And it's not like they have a hose for their indoor plumbing that they're in there like, hey, I got it. No, they're going to a water source, the well or whatever, and they're pulling water out, putting it into buckets, and bringing it to these, you know, you don't carry around 20 or 30-gallon jars. So they're taking water. Can you imagine the conversations back and forth with the servants as they're going to get the water? Why are we doing this? Like, this isn't fixing the wine problem, because unlike us, you're thinking, well, Jesus is going to turn it to wine. The, the, the servants that were doing this weren't thinking Jesus is going to turn this to wine. They're just like, this lady told us to do whatever he says, and we're going to do it. Remember, this isn't at the back end of all these other. This was before he healed lepers, um, freed people of demons, uh, rose the dead. This is before that, so there's no anticipation of what's going to happen. And so they finish this process of filling all these jars with water. And in verse 8, it says, And he said to them, Now, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And I don't know when the water turned to wine. I don't know. But in my mind, as this servant who just put water in these cisterns, when he scoops that out, it looks like water. And, and, and this is my mind. This is thus saith he. Okay, there's no, there's no background to this. But he fills up this little scooper, jar, whatever, to take it to the master of the feast. And he's like, this is stupid. Like, okay. He said it. Like, this is all Jesus. Like, okay. Like, Could you imagine going to the master of the feast, the master of the ceremony, handing him what you think is water? Like, and maybe in his mind, he's like, everybody is so drunk that water may pass for wine. I don't know. I don't know. In verse 9, it says, And the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. Okay, there's my proof that it 
was water, maybe when he got it in his hand. It's now turned into wine. And did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. Okay, here, here's some things to let you know. The master of the feast is like the party planner. He's the guy that's keeping this going, making sure they're there, but he wasn't responsible for the wine. He wasn't responsible for providing it, which we're going to see through the text. The bridegroom was responsible for the wine. In Matthew 9, when asked why his disciples don't fast, Jesus tells them that the wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, referring to himself. He is the bridegroom, which we see, I'm going to quote uh, in Ephesians a little bit later, it is his reference. He's saying, I am the bridegroom, and it's his responsibility as the bridegroom to provide the wine, and this bridegroom had failed. In verse 10, and he said to them, to him, because the master of the, um, the feast called the bridegroom, so he called him to him, because he's just tasted this wine. He said, and he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. Okay, let me, let me, um, let me translate this into common vernacular. At the beginning of the ceremony, they serve wine that comes in glass bottles. At the end of the ceremony, it's in cardboard boxes. Bottles. I mean, with like fancy names and older dates, box wine. Like, that's how it goes. I mean, that's not what really happened, but like that's the the poor wine comes out because once people have drunk enough, it's like, oh. And the master of the ceremony is losing his mind he said but you have kept the good wine until now this is the first sign jesus did at cana in galilee and manifested his glory which is what our job is to point to glorify jesus and his disciples believed in him which is the point of us being obedient to jesus seeing what he's going to do through us. Because the disciples saw Jesus ask something that didn't make sense. Because here's, here's the reality that you need to see through the Scripture, is Jesus knows better than you do. Jesus is smarter than you are. And what I've seen over the last 26 years of this journey of following Jesus is most of it makes little sense at the beginning. There's so many things that I'm like, why is this happening? Why, why is this obstacle here? Why is this, why is this happening to me? And I wish I could say, after four or five times of seeing God come through in the end, that now every time I meet an obstacle, every time I meet heartache or trouble, I'm like, God's got this. And I quote Romans 8.28, all things happen for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. No. Every time it's a new scenario, like what? I feel like if anybody reads Psalms a fair amount, I feel like David, who is a constant whiner. I mean, but I think, like, he is. Read the Psalms. He's like, why have you forsaken me? Like, we do the same thing. We like, we know God is good when God is good. 
And we know God is good when it's bad after we see the good that he's going to do in it. And what I want you to hear this morning is if you're going to listen to Jesus and obey, you have to do it in this order. Understanding that what he wants to do in you. Like you can't turn water into wine. And I'm not saying this is what Jesus is going to do in you. But I am telling you that God is going to do through you things like that. But you'll never get to the place of seeing the end result if you're not obedient with the little things. And this is the first thing that I want to say. There's four things that I want to encourage you with. The first one is little things matter. If you're going to be faithful to the word of Jesus, the little things matter. And he actually says this. He says, he that is faithful with the little, I'll give you much. If you're not faithful to little, I think sometimes we as believers, we feel like God should be giving us this like position and this title and I should be here and I should be leading this when we're not faithful at all with the little things that he's laying right at our feet saying, hey, just do this. Call and encourage this person. Pick up this piece of trash, which I went through a whole season of picking up trash because every time I walked by something that wasn't my trash, I felt like the Holy Spirit going, you just going to leave that there? I, I talked about that one Sunday, and then somebody texted me later on the week, and they're like, thanks. Picked up trash all week. <laughs> but it's the little things. I think our faithfulness always begins with us doing the little things, the little movements, because I honestly believe that we cannot do the things that God has designed for us to do without the little things. It's just like with your child. It's the little things that they start doing. Oh, they actually can pick up that piece of food and put it in their mouth. Oh, they can use a fork. Oh, they can get up off the ground and stand up and walk. I mean, we're the same way. We have to do these little things to build to the others because they matter. Here's another thing. Jesus works best when you're empty. And we see this throughout the Gospels. God is not asking you to bring 95% and him the other five. God's asking you to trust him so much so that even when you're empty, you trust that he can do what is necessary. Because it is his strength and his power working in and through us. It is when we acknowledge our weaknesses. It is when we are at the end of our rope and we trust him that he gets to do something in us. Here's another thing. Jesus is the one that helps you look good. If you try to make yourself look good in front of others, it may work. If you try to make yourself look good before the Father without Jesus, it won't work. Period. Here, Jesus made the bridegroom, the flesh and blood bridegroom of the day, look really good. Did the bridegroom do anything to deserve his praise from the master of the feast? Absolutely not. Jesus does that work. Listen to this in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 25, it says, Husbands, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not talking about marriage. We're talking about the bridegroom, which is Jesus. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church, which is the bride, us, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. If we spent less time trying to cleanse ourselves and more time trusting God to do that in us and through us as we walk with Him, like that's what He does. He's washing us with the Word. He's presenting to us to himself in splendor not because of our great works or our great efforts or our great you know accomplishments he's doing that for us because he gave himself up for us that's what he was talking about like it wasn't his time but in the writing of ephesians his time had come he had went to the cross and glorified the father by his obedience and brought us or gave us the capacity to be in harmony with the father There's so many things in my life and ministry that I have failed at trying to do it myself. Period. I do it all the time. And you would think after a season you would stop trusting in yourself and relying on yourself and you would just go, God, without you it's not going to work and we would walk in that. But there's so many beautiful things that I've been a part of that I absolutely did nothing to accomplish it other than being available and being there and being obedient to what he's said. <clears throat> this church would not exist without all these other little faithful things that God asked me to do to build me and our team over these years to move here because like, this was not something that I desired. During COVID, I've realized I'm still not sure I desire it. But this is something that God has called me to do. And it is a great way that I'm constantly reminded, because I'm empty, that God needs to move. But he's the one that helps us look good. He's the one that accomplishes these tasks. And there's, I'm just reminded of the text that says he's prepared all these good works for us to walk into. There's so many things in this city that are going to happen for the kingdom in our obedience. Good works that are already laid in front of us that we literally just have to walk into. We don't have to create them. We don't have to do them. We just have to be faithful in doing what God is asking us to do. And here's the last thing. And I think the hardest. You have to submit to His timing. imagine i don't know how long it took to fill those jars but in the middle of it the weight of carrying water water is not solving the problem it's just putting water in these jars there's so many stories of timing I, my, my favorite one is joseph in the old testament so god gives him a vision 
And he tells his brothers his vision that one day you'll take a knee and bow before me. Which little brothers, I don't recommend you doing this to your older brothers. It doesn't work. And you might get sold into slavery. Because that's what happened to Joseph. But God spoke to him. It was what God put in his heart. And between him telling his brothers and him walking into that picture was 17 years. And not 17 years of blissful, you know, doing your job and living a good life and marriage and a few kids. 17 years of being sold into slavery, being a slave, being accused of a crime that you didn't commit, being thrown into prison, giving, having God speak through you and seeing others freed because of what you've told them and say, don't forgive me, and then years pass by, 17 years. I always tell people that uh, I've talked to over the years that feel like they have a ministry call, like I feel like God has you know, laid it on my heart to be in ministry, and I usually tell them two things. Give up the when and the how. Because if the when needs to happen soon, you're going to be miserable because it probably won't happen in the time frame that you think it will happen. And the how it's going to happen is probably not going to work out either. So if you'll submit to those and be like, okay, God, I'll let you do the how and the when, and I'm, I'm just yours in the middle. Because everything that Joseph did in the middle led him to that. There's no other way, and I think it's uh, um, <clears throat> Genesis 51, that he could stand before his brothers. I'm telling you, my brothers would have got a whole lot more abuse than he, got, he gave them. I'm flawed. But there's no other way that Joseph could stand before them in tears and saying, what you did, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. See, that's someone that submitted to the timing because any, I think in the middle of that, let's say, you know, he, they got thrown into prison with him. He would probably, you know, stabbed them to death in their sleep. I mean, he wouldn't do that. Some of you are like, Joseph's too nice a guy. But that's how this thing works. And I feel as we're going to move forward over the next few weeks, as we hear these things that are compelling us, I think there's so much of us that are following things that are leading us nowhere. We're following trends. We're following political movements. We're following whatever. And they're all going to change and be something else. And go away. But the kingdom that God has called us into. And to be a part of. Will stand forever. So little things matter. It works best. It's okay if you're empty. It's a great place to be. As long as in that emptiness. You're looking to Jesus. To be filled. And Jesus is the one that helps us look good. And we have to submit to his timing. I'm going to. Invite our worship team to come back up. So, here's a couple of questions for you. What has Jesus been asking of you that you're not walking it out? There's almost always something going on around us that we like. We feel the Holy Spirit tugging or pulling us, but we're just like resistant. Your breakthrough comes in your obedience. So what is 
God speaking that you're not walking in obedience to. Because I encourage you during this last song to confess that. Say, look, this is what's going on. This is where I need to be. This is, I mean, just tell Jesus, like, I've, I'm not walking this out. And please forgive me. Help, help me walk this out. And my other question for you is if you haven't heard anything, if you're like, I don't know what Jesus is asking of me, I, I don't feel like I'm being, I feel like maybe I'm being disobedient because I'm not hearing anything. Why is that? And I'm not talking about an audible voice because sometimes those are few and far between and sometimes never, but it doesn't mean he's not there, he's not actively speaking. I think a lot of times we don't hear him because we're not in his word. I encourage everybody last week, if you're not already in a reading plan, to pick up one of the Gospels and just start reading maybe a chapter a day and just look like this this is the guy that we worship. This is the guy who gave, made a way for us in the cross. And look, we see him asking people to follow. That's why we're doing this series. He, he, and it wasn't just his disciples, those 12, that he asked to follow. It's us. And put yourself in this story and go, what is he asking of me through what I'm reading? And I, I'm, I'm just telling you, allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and speak to you and step into it. And so what we're going to do, we're going to worship one last song. Um, I say this a lot. Um, we don't put a song at the end just to keep you here a little bit longer. We put a song at the end because I think the best time for you to respond is now. Because once you walk out of these doors, not that there's anything magic about this room, other than where two or three are gathered, he's here. Once you walk out of this room, it gets a whole lot more trying and difficult. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I want us to hear you. Lord, I pray for clarity this week, either through what you've already been speaking, that it would be it would be clearer than ever that this is what you're calling us to. And for those in this room that are struggling hearing, Lord, that they're saying to themselves right now, Lord, if, if I heard your voice, that I would respond, I would move. And I pray that this week, through your word, through time spent worshiping and praying to you, Lord, that they would hear you. Lord, we, we I declare that you've put in us, your children, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. And Lord, I pray that that, that voice in us would be clearer than ever. And Lord, that we would this week begin to faithfully step into the things that you've called us to do and to be. And Lord, I pray that you would help us see what you're doing, what you're building your kingdom. And Lord, help us be a part of that. And for those in this room that are struggling, just maybe believing, trusting in you, Lord, show yourself this week. Lord, show yourself right now. Lord, we believe that you are 
Son of God that came and lived and died for us. And that death on the cross purchased for us who believe in Him a place with you. Lord, help us see that this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name.